0: Welcome everybody to the NZD podcast. This is your host and founder Sam Piccolotti where we strive to uh, bring you interesting dialogue and stokes surrounding uh, fitness, wellness, and uh, adventure sports. Um, I'd like to say that the uh, podcast and, and the dialogue with the guest that we have are unscripted and um, we keep it that way. I think it's a great way to get to know the guest and, uh, and keep things real. And if you would uh, join me today in welcoming uh, Will Turner. Uh, Will Turner is a speaker, author, trainer with over 25 years experience working with companies to improve performance. Uh, His interest in human performance also connects to his interest in sports and embarking on a healthy and fitness oriented lifestyle. Uh, Needless to say, he fits really well in this NZD community. So Will started running and racing back in 1984 and has been doing so consistently for the past 35 years. He embarked on triathlons over 25 years ago and over the decades has become an avid endurance athlete and coach. In 2018, Will embarked on an epic adventure we're going to talk about to complete 60 Ironman triathlons. That's right, six zero. That year, Will turned 60 years of age. Now just for those that don't know an, an Ironman consists of a 2.4 mile swim, a 112 mile bike, and a 26.2 mile or marathon run at the end. His successful completion broke the current Guinness Book of World Records, which is uh, pretty incredible. And for most Ironmans completed in that year, which was 44, actually blew the lid off of that one. And in 2019, Instead of resting, Will decided to keep that journey going and to reach 100 Ironmans over a two-year period, a feat that no one has ever done before, and uh, I don't know that any fool would want to try to to attempt again. So uh, join me in uh, welcoming Will Turner. Will, how are you?
1: I'm good. Nice to be with you.
0: Yeah, you as well. So here we are in in November, and uh, when did the last Ironman wrap up?
1: It was New Year's Eve of 2019.
0: Man. You know, I had the pleasure of uh, kind of meeting you uh, virtually in the midst of that journey and, uh, and really enjoyed uh, you know, watching, the, uh, watching the advancement. I think what, what a lot of folks uh, may not realize is that um, there, are, there are not 100 triathlons <laughs> that you can you can physically or logistically complete uh, at least, uh, w- you know, WTC or World Triathlon Corp sanctioned Ironman. So a lot of these were on your own. And um, and I know that uh, that takes an incredible amount of planning and logistical uh, support and consideration. So, I, I, you know, in itself, I think a major feat. But I think it's important for the guests to also know that not only did you take these on individually, but you you did them in really iconic places across the country.
1: Yeah, that, that definitely became a hallmark of our, our journey. Um, is I, I recruited um, my Uber Sherpa, Chris Stefano in, in the task of, of helping me with the logistical challenge of it all and, and being there to support me through a lot of the on-your-own races that I was doing. And uh, Chris is a pretty much of a beast of a climber on the bike and has climbed all over the country. And so when he came on board, he was like, we've got to go here and here and here. And all the places he was mentioning were things like, you know, Big Sur and Yosemite and Grand Tetons and Glacier National Park and all these iconic places, um, which were great, but at the same time, you know, they're they're hard from, from the athletic side of things because um, sure. climbing, I'm climbing, I'm, you know, competing Against myself in elevation, I mean so it definitely added a, a whole nother difficulty level to the task at hand but in the in the long run it, it made the adventure that much more exciting and grueling and life changing and everything else that it ended up being
0: well were, were a lot of these uh, destinations new for you I'm, I'm sure most of them were, but some of the more iconic spots in national parks
1: i I've, I've spent um, a lot of time going to a lot of the national parks, so i, I it was going back to places that I, I loved. Um, but also, there was definitely some some new places along the way and, and certainly kind of get doing a deeper dive in some areas that maybe I'd passed through before but hadn't spent as much time. So it's definitely a, a fun adventure to, to go to some of those those places that are just amazing. I mean, part of, you, you mentioned in the intro that I continued the journey in 2019. Um, And that was done largely to to focus on the national parks. We had done a lot in the national parks in 2018, but decided that we wanted to bring more attention to them in 2019. And so that was one of the reasons that we continued the journey and went on to 100 and ended up being 100 plus. I ended up doing
0: 105
1: (laughs) overachiever (laughs) syndrome.
0: Of course. Uh, I think it's appropriate to, uh, to give a big shout to Chris to Stefano as well, I had um, uh, been following along on uh, social media, and his photography—I I, I watched it emerge and evolve. Um, and he, he's got an incredible eye. But you guys were were able to capture a lot of this in in a book, right? Yeah,
1: um, you know, it's funny because I had always thought that I would write a book after this journey was over, mm-hmm. but what what's, and I'm still, I'm actually writing the book now, but what happened about halfway through the first year, people were so enamored with Chris's photography, and he would take, he would not only be my Sherpa out there on the courses and help me with the logistics, but he would be out there on race day, and getting ahead of me, whether I was, you know, on the bike, or on the run, or even when I was in a lake, or wherever I was swimming, and he would just be there with his camera, and, and waiting for me to show up and he'd, you know, (laughs) I'd I'd find him on on the bank along the road or laying down the road to get the perfect shot. And um, so I would post his his photos along with my race report after each race that we did. And people soon started saying, oh my goodness, these, these photos are amazing. And soon after that, we started getting the comments, oh, you should put together a coffee table book. And we were just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, and then we heard it again and again and again. We we heard it literally hundreds of times. And so um, by, by the time it was all said and done, I um, kind of reached out and said, are you people serious about us putting together, together a coffee table book? Because, you know, if you're serious, we'll do it. But it's a lot of work and, you know, we don't want to do it if, if you're just saying it to be nice. <laughs> but anyway, the the end result was we got an overwhelming response for the coffee table book and, um, put that out it, it was released in in April and um, the response has been you know overwhelmingly positive it, it shares the story of the journey but it really you know showcases chris 's photography which is you know in iconic places but like you said he's got the eye and and just the it it shares such a rich story just because you can see the places that we were that were so amazing as as oh, yeah. we were going through the
0: no doubt. Uh, is the book still available?
1: It is. We're, we're down to about a hundred copies left. So we, okay. we still have, have, um, have some left. but I guess we're, we're getting, to-
0: we, we ought to let folks know where they can find it. If, uh, if they were interested.
1: Yeah. Just, uh, go to www.liveyourbold.com and, um, you can order it right from the site. Excellent.
0: I, I have one on, on my coffee table and, uh, <laughs> And I'm grateful for it. I'll tell you that, um, you know, moving to Colorado 16 years ago, just over 16 years ago, um, one of the must haves was a, uh, Colorado, a coffee table book, uh, you know, something, something with, with photographs of all the iconic places here. And, um, I have yet to buy one <laughs> and I don't know that I will now because in place of that, I have, I have your coffee table book and, uh, and it's just and
1: spectacular. In the book as well. We definitely did a bunch in Colorado. Yeah, yeah. So
0: um, was Rocky Mountain National Park included in that?
1: Eventually? It wasn't. We went through the park at one point during the journey, but we didn't end up doing an Ironman there. Um, and I, I don't remember the reason why specifically, but um, I I I'd done um, Iron Man's I did Iron Man Boulder in 2018 and and did another one in Boulder. We did one in Telluride, yeah. um, and we did one in Gunnison National Park um, at Crested Butte. That so yeah. we, we kind of around the state a little bit, no doubt.
0: Hey, I want to I want to step back for a minute because I was I was just thinking uh, you and I uh, aren't, aren't far apart in age, but we, um, it, it, looks like we, we started or embarked on, um, or into the world of, uh, endurance sports, uh, you know, around the same time period. i think 1984 for you. Is that right?
1: Well, that was my first, um, I, my first half marathon was in 1984. Um, yeah. Is that your just,
0: background running?
1: Um, I actually had a background in swimming as a kid, Growing up and swimming in like a summer swim league and that sort of thing. Um, Got into running a little bit um, in college, a little bit post-college, but uh, four or five years out of college, I I did my first half marathon, which was a disastrous inaugural event. Um, Ended up, (laughs) which is is embarrassing now, but ended up in the hospital for dehydration Um, because it was an extremely hot day and I didn't know what the heck I was doing and I didn't (laughs) take in fluids and all that sort of stuff. Um, And then eventually graduated to, I mean, did did a bunch of short races, you know, 5Ks kind of thing. Um, Eventually moved on to marathons and triathlons and then um, triathlons were, again, shorter distance stuff and then eventually moved into the longer, you know, Ironman, half Ironman, Ironman distance stuff and then on to ultra triathlon you know events which are doubles and triples and quintuples and that sort of thing
0: yeah I it uh it becomes an addiction and uh and not a bad one I you know I often say uh you know with my mantra the, the no zero days mantra it's it, it's effectively drug of choice yes and, and, um and I can uh I can go through some pretty nasty withdrawal if, it, if it's not there for me but yeah. you know those early days of, um, of triathlon and, and, uh, and endurance sports, uh, weren't, weren't anything like they, they are today. I think they, they were, they were certainly more raw, more pure. You remember, you know, that, that iconic image of, um, I can't think of the gal's name now that was crawling across the. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, I'm thinking how incredibly crazy that was. And, uh, you know, for me, it was 1985, I believe. I'd been a swimmer as well. I, I, I was never much of a great runner being an asthmatic most of my life. So swimming became became the sport for me. And uh, I got asked to compete in a uh, Olympic distance triathlon in, in 1985 on a relay team. And, okay. uh, you know, it was one of these deals where you know, they put this, uh, you know, hot shot relay together, hoping to you know, get to the podium, and my cousin was a former junior pro cyclist, and they they had some, you know, hotshot local runner, and uh, and asked me if I do the swim, and I said, well, how long? How far is it? Like, what's a mile? And I thought, okay, you know, that that was about a fifth of what I was doing, you know, for practice on a routine basis. Okay, so I got in the water a couple times uh, before the event, and um, and didn't have any, uh, you know, uh, you know, any, any any concerns about, you know. Com- pleading the distance or, you know, we're meeting the, you know, the objective time. And uh, I think I got about 200 meters out and I, I ended up into a full blown asthma attack and, you know, tried to suffer through one buoy at a time, you know, to, to get, and it didn't work and I ended up getting pulled and, and they never did get to, to bike or run that day. And I was just totally humiliated. Sure. And um, I thought that's it, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to try to cure my asthma and, and you know, those things that are, are challenging to me, I'm just going to exploit them. So I'm going to start running. I'm going to start biking more and see if I can, you know, build enough uh, cardiovascular strength to, to overcome the asthma, which didn't work, but it it did get me, it did get me hooked. And uh, I did my first uh, sprint distance triathlon the following spring. And, you know it uh as as you could probably recall was you know short distance and you can get through those things in just over an hour or about an hour and um and i i i did well uh but i i thought it was one of the you know hardest things that i had ever done up until that point right and um and then you know years later you start going longer and bigger <laughs> and chasing it but uh it it's an awesome journey because you you learn that those uh, physical limitations that you believe are uh, are there are are really just mental limitations. And right. once you learn to bust through that, uh, it it just you know continues to build on on I think you know the mental and the physical um, yeah. components of our life. So very grateful to have had those those experiences. I'm sure yours were very similar. Um so tell me about the evolution. So I know you got into to longer distance stuff and I heard you mention ultra triathlon. So right. I, I know what that is, but a lot of folks probably don't know what that is. You mind talking about that for a minute?
1: Yeah, an ultra as I define it is anything that's longer than an Ironman. So, you know, the the standard distances for triathlon are sprint, Olympic, half Ironman and Ironman. And then anything beyond that Ironman distance and there, you know, there's a whole little community and cult of, of folks who are in the ultra endurance triathlon world and they're doing double Ironmans, triples, quadruples, quintuples, decas, which are 10 times. They're doing double decas. There's wow. even been one, um, one event in Italy, probably about... I don't know. Back maybe six, seven, eight, ten years ago, that was a triple deca. Um, and the the ultra endurance events that are more than a single Ironman typically have one of two formats. One is a one a day for multiple days. So you might, if you were doing a double, you do a, a Ironman one day and turn around and do the, another Ironman the next day. Or you can do a continuous. And a lot of the the harder events, I think, are the continuous ones where you basically double the swim, double the, the bike and double the run. And you do them in the consecutive order that you would in a normal triathlon. But then you, you know, you might be doing a triple or a quintuple or, you know, a, a DECA. So those distances just get to be, you know, multiplied that far out and are over multi-days or multi-weeks depending on the distances. And, um, it's definitely a, a small group of folks that get into them, but, um, you know, talk about addiction. It's one of those things that really hooks you in as well because you're, you're definitely pushing limits and testing yourself like you've never tested before. Oh, no, yeah. And I was actually, my introduction was kind of interesting. I, I was kind of on the Ironman circuit, you know, and, you know, starting in 2009, I did my first Ironman in New Zealand. And um, in 2013, I was doing... Um, Ironman Lake Tahoe, the inaugural event for Lake Tahoe. And after the event, um, Chris and I were actually at a little uh, little um, diner in, in Truckee, California. And a lot of the athletes, it was maybe two days after the race, most of the athletes had kind of left and, and the place was more deserted than it had been the last you know week with all the athletes in town and all the support crews and family. But this, this gentleman walked by our, our booth, obviously headed to the restroom, and he came back by after he was done, and he looked at us, and he was like, did you do the race? And we started talking to him, and, and he had a British accent, and he had done the race, and he, you know, he said that he was from England, um, and he had done 46 Ironmans. And I was, at that point, I was in, like, shock and awe and, you know, that, you know, here's somebody who's done 46 Ironmans. I've never met somebody who had done that many. And then he said, and I've done one double. And he was so excited when he said the double. I'm like, double? I didn't didn't even know there was such a thing, right? And I said, you know, I asked him what it was. And obviously it's what it sounded like. It's, It's the twice the distance type thing. And I said, where was that? And so to put this in context, we're in California. I'm talking to a guy from England. And he tells me that the double is in Virginia. And I'm like, and I'm from Virginia. Right. And I'm like, we're in Virginia. And he's like, Lake Anna, which is like an hour and 15 minutes from my house. So here I learned of this event where they do the ultra, you know, they do doubles and triples and quintuples at this particular event, which is a little over an hour from my house. And I was just flabbergasted that there was such a thing.
0: Well, that and speaks to how obscure they are.
1: Exactly, exactly. And so I immediately went online to try to see if I could find out anything about it. And one of the things online when I found the site said, you know, if you're interested, you know, a great way to participate is to volunteer. And so I ended up volunteering just to kind of check it out. You know, I was like, oh my gosh, what's this? And I, I went up um, that year to, to volunteer. And I'm like, okay. And And the funny thing is, you know, I think... When you're in the sport, whether it's marathon running or, or swimming or triathlon or cycling, you know, there's a certain, you know, training regimens and stuff that are are, are pretty normal, you know, and certainly I, I'm a certified USAT coach for triathlon. So I'm used to putting together training plans for training for an Ironman or shorter distance triathlons. But I, I was trying to wrap my head around how do you train for a double or a triple or a quintuple? You know, it's just was something so foreign to me that I wasn't sure how that translated. And so I thought if I volunteer, I can go up there, I can meet some of the athletes, I can talk to different people. I can really figure out what is it that they're doing that allows them to go these tremendous distances. And the, the, the crazy thing is, and I think this is true with a lot of the ultra endurance sports is that it, it, there was no regimen <laughs> you know there was that I was used to i mean th- th- you had a cast of characters that all had these amazing stories, but they all were there was, there was no commonality to how they trained or what they did. They found things that worked for themselves and um things that as I looked at it as a coach, I was like hmm <laughs> you know I, I'm not sure about that um but it you know it it's a different mindset and it's a little bit um more of a renegade sport i I look at it and and you just you you learn about your body and what works for you given you know the fact that you're working with sleep deprivation you know that you're dealing with a lot of variables that you don't normally have in a shorter distance race and so people train and get ready for them really runs the gamut um but you know the one thing that, you know, certainly is in common with all, all the folks out there is that they're, you know, they're willing to go to a place where they're, they're in a pain cave and suffering and, and, you know, it's part of the journey to kind of push through and, and do what you have to do to, to get through that. And you, you have to, uh, it, it really is a, you know, there are a couple of things that have kept me in the, the sport um, in the ultra endurance side of things. Like For the- staying alive. What's that?
0: Like staying alive?
1: <laughs> staying alive. Um, <laughs> living through <rhythm. laughs> them. It, it's, it's, you know, it's, the, the community, because it is so small, is just unbelievable in, in a good sense. I mean, there's such a, a sense of camaraderie and connection to the people that you're out there suffering with. Because um, also, these ultra endurance events are typically on, a, on, on the triathlon side, they're on a looped course. And they're usually shorter loops. So you're you're getting to know the folks that you're racing with. And the, the, the field is really small. I mean, an Ironman event, you might have 2,500 people at a branded Ironman race. At an ultra event, you might have 30. So, yeah. I mean, it's a totally different dynamic. And you might be out there for three days and three nights with the same people and interacting with their crew and your crew and all that sort of stuff. So um, it does create some bonds that are pretty... Pretty amazing along the way, and it, I'm sure. I'm you know, sure. It's yeah.
0: the uh, The first Ironman for the uh, for the sixty attempt. Yeah, where, where did
1: that one take place? That was in Naples, Florida, um, and it was a hits as a race series. Oh, yeah. yeah, sure. And um, they have um, they had a full distance, which is an Ironman distance um, race, on January sixth um, of two thousand eighteen. It's the first one that's in the country every year and so that was that kicked off my first one of my 60 at 60 run in 2018.
0: So had you already completed one of these ultras before this pursuit of the uh the 60?
1: Yeah I had done a double um in um, 2015 and I had um attempted a quintuple in 2016. Wow. So I attempted a quintuple. What happened was I did the 12-mile swim, I completed the 560-mile bike, and you have 131 miles on the run, and the clock hit the, the timer as far as the cutoff um, when I was seven miles short.
0: Of wow. the of the 130.
1: Of the 131 miles, yeah, 696 miles of the 703 miles that the race was.
0: Well, what's what's the finishing percentage in an event like that for uh, for attendees,
1: racers? It's um, it's actually higher than you would think. It's, you know, it's anywhere from 60 to 80 percent easily.
0: Yeah. yeah. And well, I mean, because they know what they're getting into. They're they're, they're yeah. not weakened.
1: I would have finished, but I ended up having um, some real muscular um, issues with my back cramping up that literally for the last probably 25 miles of my run, I was like Quasimodo. I was hunched over and couldn't straighten myself all the way up. And was literally just you know willing myself to take one step in front of the other. I was no longer able to run or jog. It was just a matter of staying upright and moving.
0: Yeah I've seen um, there's a name for that posture. It escapes me at the moment but I've seen people in it uh, where they're moving but they are bent over sideways and Attempting to continue to move forward, and it's a uh, it's a painful thing to watch. And I've seen it a few times up in Leadville, and yeah. um, uh, I, I I I know there's a physiological, uh, uh, you know, it, um, yeah. process actually, of depletion that hits. You know,
1: right? Mine actually, it, it mine was exacerbated by what's called Shermer's neck um, okay. on the, the bike. Um, you, it's a 560-mile bike, so you're biking nonstop for you know several days through the night and all that sort of stuff. And you know you're down in, in a in a tri bike in your arrow positions, and you're lifting your head up, and you're just yeah. putting strain on your your neck and your 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 shoulders and your upper back um, to the point where at the very towards the end of my bike, I I <coughs> couldn't lift my head up. You know the the inch or two to look ahead of me on the road. You know, it was that painful. Yeah. Um, and at one point I stopped. Um, you, you can stop as long as you want, as frequent as you want, but you still have cutoffs to make. make. Yeah. So my, my strategy was to take an hour and a half to two hour break every night. That was my sleep time. Um, and at one point, about two nights into the, the bike, um, I had one of my crew members was a, was a massage therapist, and I got off the bike, and I was going to go take a, a, you know, a short rest break, a sleep break, and she said, would you like me to massage you before, you know, you, you rest? I'm like, absolutely, and she starts, you know, working my back of my neck and my shoulders and my back, and she says, Will, it feels like there's small rodents under your skin. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so, so <laughs> knotted up. Yeah. And it felt, you know and it was like yeah that's what it feels like
0: so what what brought on the uh on the attempt for 60 uh and so and did this happen the year of your 60th uh birthday
1: yes so i turned 60 on january 7th of 2018 okay. so um so short little side story here. So the race in Naples was January 6. So it was the day before my birthday. <laughs> so my goal was to, the year I turned 60. Well, um, after the race, I talked to my daughter, who's grown, and uh, she lives in Charlotte, North Carolina. And she said, Dad, that one doesn't count. I'm like, what are you talking about? It doesn't count. 60, she said, yeah. You- yeah. So, um, I- <laughs> I ended up doing the sixty, and then I ended up doing one more. So, because every time throughout the year, anytime I talked to her, oh. you know, I'd call her from wherever I was, I might be in Colorado, and she's, you know, she say, "How are you doing, Dad?" And she would say, "What number are you on?" And I'd say forty-three, and she'd go forty-two. <laughs> oh man, tough, tough cookie. This down. Yeah. After I did my sixtieth one, I ended up doing the sixty-first one. Just to shut her yeah, off. Cool.
0: Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, cool. So, so you, st- you start in January of that year. Right. And uh, man, I mean, that's uh, 60 of
1: them. It's, it's, it's five you know, of them. No, so one know. six days is what I have to maintain to d- get to the 60. Yeah. And to back that up, you, you, you said, you know, what made me decide to do 60? I, I wanted to be HAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal. when I turned 60. And I originally had thought, what if I do six Ironmans the year I turned 60? That would be huge. And I was all excited about it. And about a week after I had that, this was actually like three years before I turned 60. I was just, you know, for some reason, I was just, I don't know why it popped in my head. You know how you're an athlete and you think about aging up to the next age group. Mm -hmm. And, and I'd done, my first Ironman when I turned 50. And that was at that time, that was a big deal. You know, that was a HAG for me. And I I decided, you know, well, 60s coming up in a few years, you know, what can I do that's really big when I turn 60? And I thought, six Ironmans, that would be huge. So I I think that I had this thought, it just kind of, you know, something in my head, I go out the next weekend to a local triathlon, it was like a Olympic distance event here in town. And I was coaching a couple of the athletes. So I was just went out. I didn't go out there to race. I just went out there to cheer them on and support them and support the other racers. And I ran into a friend of mine out there and she said, Well, you got any big race plans going on? And I said, Well, and I, and I decided she'd be the first person I was share this big idea with. I, you know, I'm thinking about doing six Ironmans a year, turn 60. And she immediately, very matter of factly said, Oh. And she mentioned a local triathlete. Who had turned 60 a couple years before had done the exact same thing and all of a sudden it took all the wind out of my sails I'm like okay, this isn't such a big goal after all if the first person I mentioned it to says oh like so-and-so and um, so I I I went back home and I just I just kind of put it in the back of my head and I, I, I I started thinking about it you know what what can I do instead of six I felt like I wasn't pushing myself enough and I needed to go bigger. And there's a, a, a concept called the 10X factor or 10X thinking where you take your goal and you multiply mm-hmm. it by 10 um, to make it this humongous thing. Mm-hmm. And of course, if you multiply six by 10, you get 60. And then I'm turning 60, 60, it it's, it's just seemed like the right thing, right? And, but I mean, it's, it's the other thing was when I was training for New Zealand, I, I ran across a quote that I, I kept in front of me at all times, which said, "You know, if your dream doesn't scare you, it's not big enough." And that was my litmus test moving forward from that point on. And I thought of this goal, sixty at sixty, and it scared the crap out of me. <laughs> and I thought, okay, that's that's good. You know, I want to be scared. I want it to be something that is really going to stretch me. And at that point, I didn't know what the world record was. I, I you know, I just thought. And I didn't know whether it was possible. I mean, it wasn't something that that I thought of and goes, oh, that's it. It it scared me. And I thought, I don't know if it's possible. um, But what can I do in the next two years to prepare myself physically and mentally to, to see if it is a possibility? And so the year I actually did my quintuple, I also did 20 or so Ironmans on my own that year. Oh, wow. And I started, I, I just started ramping up my own testing of myself and putting myself in situations that I'd never been in before to see if I could wrap my head around it. And I, I kind of liken it to do mental gymnastics where you just really have to get to a place where you can really believe it's possible. And after that year, which was a year before I was going to start the journey, um, I did, you know. All those things. And um, I, I, I kind of walked away from that year going, okay, I'm, I'm in, you know, and I, and I may fail moving forward. There's no guarantees, but I'm going to give it everything I've got and go into it as strong as I can and, and, and do what I have to do to maintain my physical and mental health through the process to, to make a go at this. So, um, so when 2018 came around, I was ready to, to take the plunge.
0: So you're probably sitting on another record uh, there. They're, I don't know what the lifetime Iron Man total is, but...
1: No, it, it Actually, I don't know exactly, but there are a handful. I mean, three or four people who have done um, in the 150 to 200 plus range. Yeah, um, wow. My lifetime right now is right around 130, which probably puts me in the top five or six.
0: How about <laughs> so,
1: that? Yeah pretty crazy
0: so you set off in in January yeah and um, how did you uh how did you convince Chris to uh to join you on that
1: um he you know he's he he loves a good adventure and he loves you know being able to go to all these places and once he 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 said that you know if he, he wanted to be involved but he would like to, you know, help with logistics and really look at where we were going. I was definitely not thinking in the same way as he was. I was thinking, how can I get through 60 of these? Sure. I wanted to do actual races, but I knew I could. There are not enough actual Ironman, so I knew I was going to fill in the holes with on your own events. Um, and he was the one that really said, you know, we need. If we're going to do this, we need to go to. You know, Big Sur and Death Valley and Grand Tetons and Glacier, and you started naming all these epic places and places in Colorado. Um, you know, like Telluride, that we need to make part of the journey. And Plus, you're
0: dealing with with weather. I mean, you get you know you got seasonal changes
1: throughout the year. Well, the logistics definitely w- was very weather focused. You know, where where can we go in January? I mean, Death Valley um, is is you know ideal in in January not so ideal in in July, Um, and, you know, being in Colorado in the summer is, is great, Um, and, and so we really looked at how we were going to do the logistics based on where we were going to have the best chances of good weather, but knowing that, you know, I mean, there were, I certainly had races where we were in, like, 100 degree weather, and I was dealing with dehydration. We had, I had a couple races where It was uh, sub-freezing and I was in snow and, you know, and lots of rain and and wind and those sorts of things. So you can't avoid all the terrible weather, but we did our best to navigate around the country based on where would be a good place to race given the season that we were in.
0: And you were, this was all by, uh, by automobile or driving? You
1: know, early on, I bought a little teardrop camper. Oh yeah. um, Basically hooked that onto my SUV and, Away we went. Um, over the two-year period, um, we traveled over 136,000 miles, Wow. including crisscrossing across the country multiple times, wow. even went up to Alaska, you know, drove. And, you know, we were in Washington State and did one in Olympia National Park, Olympic National Park, and then we went up to Whistler and did one up there. And from Whistler, we drove to Alaska, and then, you know, I mean, so I mean, the, the trip to Alaska was like four days of driving just to get, you know, we went to Denali and um, Alaska. So, I mean, we we hit so so many just crazy epic places, but it was a lot of, a lot of driving. Lots of times we would be driving yeah. for hours and hours or days and days to get to the next location, you know, and then. Yeah,
0: and that's the part that just blows me away uh, in thinking that. You know, recovery, if you will, uh, oftentimes is spent sitting, strapped in a seatbelt in yeah. an automobile, with without the ability to move a whole lot. Exactly. And then you've got to get out and get moving
1: exactly. you know, for
0: for 140 miles. Yeah. And uh, man, that's got to be tough on a body as well. And it was just the two of you guys. You mentioned in in the uh, in the ultra, you had you know a masseuse with you and probably some other sport, but. Right. Not on this adventure. It was just you and Chris, right?
1: Yeah, there, there were there were places that we went that um, we had a little bit more support, but for the most part, um, it was Chris and I throughout the the journey. Yeah, so um, didn't have a lot of other support.
0: No, so yeah, you've got to put you know all that thought in on uh, you know on, on prep and how you know where where you're able to transition because you got to refill, right? You're gonna right. you're gonna right. need more water and you're gonna need f- fuel and food right. and
1: so it's really right. yeah. creating those systems and processes where you can get to a place. And, you know, oftentimes we would know, Chris would have mapped out, you know, here's what we can do on the bike. And, you know, there's also the limiting factor of where you swim. That was always right. uh, one of the things you you can find some really epic places, epic locations to bike and run, but there's not always a, a body of water that you can swim in. Yeah, um, And so you really have to look at where's there, what do you have access to um, on the course, you know, are we going to make it a loop course or is it going to be a, you know, an out and back or, or what is it going to be? And so, you know, we would have to plan the logistics around whatever the course, you know, made, made sense for the course. Um, and, and so if possible, uh, which was most of the time, we would, we would definitely try to go to a place a day or two ahead of time, scope out what, what our plans were, make sure the logistics were going to work. Sometimes have to fine tune or tweak things along the way, and then you know, be ready to, to hit it the next morning to, to get the race going type thing.
0: Yeah, and um, did were you able to stay healthy and injury free through uh, through most of this?
1: Yeah, um, knock on wood, yeah. So that was certainly the probably the biggest concern was you know can I put my body through what I'm going to put it through with sometimes very short recovery time you know I I said that our you know I had to average one every six days but because of travel because of other logistics I was still working working remotely I was doing this so you know sometimes I had to be available for conference calls or other things or or even face-to-face meetings and so I, I certainly had, you know, s- times when I had, you know, no time in between or only a few days um, in between. So definitely had to kind of accommodate all of that in, in the process as well. I'm sure. Did, uh,
0: did you meet some interesting folks through the journey? Oh, yeah. People that were wondering what the hell you were doing. (laughs) A lot of
1: people thinking you're crazy, yeah. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: Just a lot of, you know, it's amazing how the support just, you know, both virtually online, and as you know, as you followed, but also, you know, as we would go to different places, how people would just, you know, do whatever they could to want to help out and be part of it, which was amazing. Um, You know, I had, just to give you an example there, I was doing a A swim in Lake Cucanusa, which is in upstate Montana, and um, the lake actually straddles over the U.S.-Canada border, and we were there in early June, but in early June, it's still that, that, you know, those glacier-fed lakes are frigid. Yeah. At the time, I had a a sleeveless wetsuit, and it wasn't enough, you know, but that's all I had, so I, I ended up swimming I end up getting in the water and, you know, you always have to do these mental tricks and, and watch out for the negativity and all that sort of stuff that's going on in your head, the chatter in your head. I get in the water and I hadn't gotten in the water that before I got there. So, that, you know, I'm getting in the water for the race day. And as soon as I start to swim, just the, the sheer coldness of the water just was like, you know, just kind of debilitating. And of course, immediately in my head, it's like, oh my God, this water is so cold. How am I going to make it 2.4 miles, right? And I knew that if I went down that path, that I was never going to make it 2.4 miles. And so I I immediately countered it with, you know, some some positive kind of self-talk to kind of balance it and said, you know, I, I didn't want to ignore the fact that it was cold, but I wanted to kind of, there's a, there's a, there's a, a technique of dealing with negative chatter, which includes having that conversation. So you basically have a banter with yourself. You don't deny the bad side, but you you almost like debate it and, and kind of go back yeah. and forth. So my way of debating it was to say, you know, yes, it's cold, but it's so exhilarating. And, you know, who else gets to swim in this beautiful lake all by themselves? Because nobody else was swimming in it because it was so freaking cold. Um, so, you know, partway through the swim, towards the end of the swim, my hands were so cold that I could not close them. You know, they, they were kind of
0: in this yeah, you get claw hand.
1: Yeah. Position that, you know, they were just, and, and, and I, I ended up getting out of the water at the end. And as I'm coming off the shore, Chris is there with his, his camera. And I'm thinking he's just going to throw me a towel and take a picture or two. Well, he would happen to be videoing me at the time. And I stand up in the water and I'm, I'm, I'm shaky and I'm, I don't have my balance and I fall back in the water. And I, I get up again and I, this happens a couple times. And when I start walking, I'm walking off stiff like I'm a Frankenstein character or something. And literally, you know, I'm dealing with, with at least the onset of hypothermia at this point. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's not a good scene. And um, all that to say that, we ended up posting that that little film clip on Facebook and a friend of mine in New Zealand ends up contacting a Blue 70 you know wetsuit rep in New Zealand who contacts somebody at the headquarters John at the headquarters of Blue 70 in Seattle and I get a, a email saying contact John he, he'll take care of you and I'm thinking John yeah, I don't know who John is I'm thinking John must be some Guy that works in the marketing department of blue 70 and maybe they're going to you know, help me out a little bit. John happens to be the CEO of blue 70 <laughs> and he's Like, What size wetsuit do you need and you know within a week? I'd received a, a package with a full wetsuit and all the The other you know the gloves and the, the yeah. and All that sort of stuff.
0: That's awesome
1: Yeah, and and that's just an example of people just kind of going out of their way to see how they could help me in the journey that was totally unexpected, but how, how amazing is, is something like that? So you have those moments throughout the journey where people just really step up and are there for you in whatever way they can be, which is pretty-, pretty It motivating.
0: might be hard to reflect back on one individual event, but was there one of the, uh, I don't even wanna say the first 60, cause really it 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 went on beyond that of the 100 let's say that, uh, that was the most difficult for you?
1: Yeah, there there's definitely a handful that stand out. It's hard to pick one, um, but there were, you know, you, you deal with so many different situations. Sure. Um, I, I dealt with some really tough courses that, um, my, one of my nemesis is, is dehydration. And I, I do a lot to control dehydration, but, at a certain temperature, I, I you know, with uh, with all the precautions I take, I'm going to deal with it. So I had a couple instances where dehydration just got the the better of me. One of them was an actual race in Oregon at Lake Hag in Oregon. It's a really hilly course, um, so there's a lot of there. There was like I think 9,000 feet of climbing on the bike, yeah. and you know, and and it was in the summer in Oregon, but and you think it would be a little cooler in Oregon, but the temperatures were like 98 degrees. And humid. With the, the heat index and the, the radiation, radiant heat off the asphalt, it was like over 100, you know, 100 plus, 10510 degrees type thing. Um, and then you've got the, just the difficulty level of the course. Um, I ended up getting through it and probably about halfway on the run, I, I really started cramping up a lot. Um, started throwing up a lot, which is a sign of dehydration. And when, you know, that's always a a bad sign when you start throwing up because you've got to take in fluids to kind of balance yourself. But at the same time, you're you're not, it's not staying down and all those sorts of things. So um, ended up, you know, I've learned over the years, kind of what to do in those situations. It's not fun when you're going through it, but I, I, I got, I got through the race Um, and this was actually an anvil race. So peop- everybody there, not everybody, most of the people there were doing the double. So they were doing a double in those conditions. I was doing a single. There was probably about six or seven of us that was were doing the single Ironman um, distance. And I ended up um, winning the race, but I mean, it's only six or seven of us, um, but barely, you know, you know, just getting to the finish line. And after the race was over, um, I, I took a shower and walked and just tried to rebalance myself, try to get fluids back in me. And there was, I was at such a deficit that I kept, you know, I don't know if you know this, but when you're dehydrated and you sit down or you lie down, you start cramping up. Um, cause, and so every time I would try to sit down or, or, you know, at, at this point, by the time I was ready to go to bed, it was after midnight, you know, I'd been doing this all day. I was ready for bed, but I couldn't lie down without just my, my body just cramping up and, and not just a little cramp, but just like tightening up to the point where you're like, oh, you know, and screaming and, and that sort of thing. So I, I would there, the transition area and where our little camper was, was in a, a parking lot. And I was just in the middle of the night, like at 12, one or two o'clock at night, I was just walking in circles, drinking, taking fluids, trying to rebalance myself and just keep moving you know, because I couldn't sit down or stop. And at one point, I, I was walking on the edge of the parking lot and there was a, a little incline, a hill, that kind of rolled down to the lake where we swam. And I was still not real, short, you know, short-footed. I, my foot kind of went on the other side of the asphalt and I went tumbling down this hill. And I didn't have enough strength to get myself, I was like, I had to crawl. Oh, man. My <laughs> hands and knees back up to the parking lot. And everybody else was, you know, in bed or, you know, yeah. racing the middle of the night if they're doing the double and that sort of stuff. But it was definitely a, a, a tough day for me.
0: I've had a couple of those experiences where, you know, after completing something, you know, that rigorous or exhausting, where I was more concerned about going to bed than I was, uh, you know, what I had just gone through. Thinking that, that, that might be what kills me. <laughs> you know? but, uh, yeah, the, uh, the, the Oregon event, you said, was a, uh, what was catered to a lot of uh, folks doing a double. Right. Did they have any indication where you were in your journey at that point?
1: They did. They did. Again, a yeah. small community, so they all knew what was going on. And um, were very supportive of, of what I was doing. That's yeah, so, pretty cool. Yeah. But talk cool. about, I mean, that that I think, unlike a lot of the ultra endurance events, I think that one had over a fifty percent um, DNF rate, um, just because the the conditions were so brutal. Wow. Wow.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I, I believe it. You're familiar with the uh, the Leadville 100 uh, yeah. run event they have here in Colorado, and you know, it too has a, uh, a very low um, completion rate and DNF rate, high DNF rate. And, uh, you know, my first year up there pacing a friend, I had um, been at the finish and I watched these people come through the finish line, you know, elated and joyful and meeting with their family and friends and having pictures taken and maybe cracking a beer. And, you know, then they'd walk off to, you know, sit down on the lawn somewhere in the shade and relax and pass out. <laughs> and and I watched the EMTs who were sitting idly by just scanning the crowds, waiting for that to happen. And yeah. I thought, oh my God, <laughs> this isn't a matter of you dying during the event, It's you might die after the event. <laughs> And they were sweeping people up left and right. Wow. And, uh, it's amazing what you can put your body through mentally. If you, uh, you know, if you really can condition yourself to have that kind of perseverance. And um, I wanted to ask, cause you, you know, you mentioned that you, you did your first Ironman at the age of 50 and um, you, you know, there are a lot of, there are a lot of endurance athletes that are, you know, um, up in age. And I think that's for a lot of reasons, right? Um, Maybe time and and opportunity presents itself for, you know, folks who are a little bit older.
1: Right.
0: You know, rather the youth when they're, you know, busy in college and doing other things perhaps. But um, there are a lot of people that go through many decades in their life um, with with, um, aspirations, if you will, to take something, on or challenge themselves. We, you had mentioned your first event, you know, being that half marathon, and uh, and being too intimidated to take those steps, or thinking that, you know, they're they're too old. Time has passed them by.
1: Right. You
0: know what? What do you what do you say to those folks?
1: Um. Well, here's my philosophy on that: is that you're not old until you use age as an excuse. Um. And I I hear a lot of people using age as an excuse, you know, I can't do it because I'm too old, you know, that sort of thing. And and usually lots of times it's they're joking about it. But in my mind, I don't even want to plant those seeds that I'm too old, because even if you're joking about it, you're planting the seeds and and it it ties into your belief system of of what you can and can't do. Um, But I would certainly tell anybody that, you know, don't use age as a limiter, that you at at any age can do so much more than you realize you can, and it 's a matter of, of pushing those limits and doing the work i mean there's a lot of commitment and discipline comes into doing any big goal, but you know there's also some wisdom that comes with age that allows you to really tap into a very gritty and resilient part of yourself because you 've been through a lot of life experiences, and so you know I had an athlete that I coached to get her through the 2016 Chattanooga Ironman. And she was, she's a couple years younger than I am, um, but it was her first Ironman and it was one of those 98 degree days in, in Tennessee and people were dropping like flies. And she had a strong running and marathon background. But, you know, part of her getting through the day was, you know, she'd been there before. She had pushed herself so many times and she had the mental fortitude that sometimes a younger athlete or a younger person doesn't have hasn't built up yet, and so I think you know there are some advantages sometimes when we're older, and I think endurance sports gives an older athlete some opportunities that you know we're not as fast as we were when we were 20 or 30, but you know we we can often go longer when we're you know in our 40s and our 50s and our 60s, um, and a lot of that is the mental strength that we we built up along the way. And the endurance engine, we we kind of helped to kind of keep going, you know, for, for oftentimes decades.
0: Yeah, I hear you, and I heard I heard something in, else in there, and I think it was really profound. And that's that, uh, you know, those other complementing life experiences that you 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 go through, whether it's uh, you know just the rigors of uh, raising children, or financial hardships, or and, and you know, and it's worse, uh, marriage or marriage and business, and all those things that you know you you at the time you don't think you, you can get through. And, you know, as years go by, you you start to realize, you know, how resilient really are. Mm -hmm. And uh, you just add a physical element to that. And, uh, and you've got a good solid foundation. I think you're right. I I remember back to, um, and I'm going back, it's got to be 20 some years now. So, um, you know, I was just in my thirties. I was with some guys who were a couple of years younger to me and maybe mid to late thirties. And um, we we're coaching my daughter's U11 soccer team. And one of the girls kicked the ball over a, uh, over a fence into a tennis court. And, you know, the tennis courts have pretty high fences. I don't know what, they've got to be 15 feet or something. And, and two of the coaches just went into this, you know, this rant. Like, oh man, how are we going to get the ball? Now look what you did. You know, <laughs> and I remember just, being shocked and looking at them and awe because they were breaking down over this ball being in a tennis court, and I ran over and I climbed the fence, got down, got the ball, kicked the ball over, climbed back over, and they're looking at me, you know, dumbfounded. And uh, I said, you, "You know, you know the problem with you guys not being able to climb the fence? I said, it's just because you stopped. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you you, st- you just stopped. If you yeah. if you if you keep climbing fences, you're still climbing fences. Yeah." Uh, I think there's, you know, there's,
1: over that. there's
0: the inability for in our minds, right?
1: Right. But, you know, I think so many athletes or, or even people that aren't athletes, I mean, they, they either don't push themselves or they think, oh, I'm getting older. I can't do this anymore. And I, I agree with you. It's that consistency over time. I mean, that's one of the, the biggest things that we have as we age. And it, you might not have that consistency if you d- haven't been an athlete before but you can start that. You know, you hear of these people that start in their 50s or 60s and they're still going strong in their 80s. You know, I'm always inspired by, you know, athletes that come before me. Um, Lou Hollander is one that always comes to mind. He was the first 80 plus year old that finished Kona, the Ironman championship in Hawaii. And I've I've seen stories about Lou over the years and read read about him and, you know, there are a couple of things that really stand out when I have read stories about him. And one is, you know, people always ask him, you know, aren't you afraid of hurting your knees, you know, because, you know, it's the typical, you know, I'm too old. My knees, knees are bad and that sort of stuff. He said, I don't know about you, but my knees are plenty strong because I work them every day, you know, which I think yeah. is great, you know. Yeah. And um, the other thing he does, which, you know, from a coaching perspective, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it, but I love the philosophy of it, is that when he goes out on a workout, and he you know swim bikes and runs he he pushes himself to some anaerobic capacity with every workout um and that is you know pushing himself to the point where you know he can't go anymore you know and and most of us as we get older um, often those harder you know speed workouts or those anaerobic workouts we start we stop doing those, you know, because they're hard and we, you know, we want to take it easier. Um, but that's what keeps our, you know, our endurance engine going. That's what keeps us stronger. You know, it's keeps, you know, we know over time our VO two max and some of our, you know, some of the things that help us with speed and those sorts of things are going to decline. But we also know if we're consistently doing the things that are pushing ourselves, that decline is going to be exponentially smaller. And, and you know go over a much longer period of time before it really gets to a point where it's dropping and having a major impact on what we can do. And I recently, since the pandemic, read an article about Lou. He's now 90 years old. He lives in Oregon. He doesn't do Ironmans anymore, but he's still out there doing his own triathlon. Uh, during the pandemic, he was doing his on-your-own, like, sprint and Olympic distance triathlons at 90 years old.
0: You know? Yeah, he's something else. I remember... Seeing an article about him, uh, he's got a small river or a creek, something in his in his area that he swims upstream in, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, he's just uh, yeah, he's just he's just an animal. There's there's a buddy of mine here that's in his 80s. I think he'll turn 82 this year. That's still doing um, ultra runs and and uh, and endurance mountain bike events and snowshoe series all winter long. But he's a veterinary doctor, still practicing at at 81 this year, and um, he I meet him uh, just about weekly uh, over at the local park where they have a uh, incline uh, set up, you know, for hiking right. that, that that goes you know 200 steps up. I don't know how many, maybe 150 feet or something, but it it, it gets you pretty anaerobic. Mm-hmm. And then there's a uh, there's a fit center with pull-up bars and bands and, you know, and, I, and he'll be in there. And so I, I joined him a couple of weeks ago <laughs> and, uh, he was doing his, his, his normal routine, which was 75 pull-ups, 75 push-ups, uh, and, um, 75 sit-ups and 15, 100 yard sprints. <laughs> wow. <That's laughs> you awesome. know, but, uh, I, you, you just can't stop. <laughs> You know, yeah. you got to keep moving. But I, I, I think your message is sound. Yeah, for those that uh, maybe haven't yet gotten in the game, you got to take that excuse of age off the table yeah. and uh, understand that, you know, the body is still capable. I remember being in a, uh, an adventure race with a friend years back who uh, was starting to have a hard time and his legs were were starting to, you know, give out on him. And I, I'd said to him, hey, my mother-in-law is 95. She's still walking on her legs. Yeah, you're a lot younger. Yours are gonna last, last your lifetime. We'll get you through this event, <laughs> you know. Sure. But it gets back to the framing of the self-talk that you had mentioned earlier. Absolutely, you got to put that stuff in perspective. In yeah. perspective, you um, got to
1: believe that you can do it, yeah. and you got to then build that confidence by actually doing it. You know? By and doing just, it, yeah. Getting out there, doing, going further than you went the day before, or pushing a little harder than you did the, you know, the. the the workout before, and, and, and finding, you know, building that confidence, and also building that, both the physical and mental wherewithal to, to, to keep going.
0: Yeah, I think the, uh, I think the body can build the mind, yeah. you know, just as, just as a, a strong mind can help lead the body, you know, you, you, you need both, it's yin and yang of that whole, you know, the whole balance.
1: People ask me, I've been asked multiple times, you know, what, what was harder in the journey, was it the physical or the mental, and I, I like to say that, it's, it's 90% physical, and the other 90% is mental.
0: <laughs> I like it.
1: We yeah. Yeah. definitely go hand in hand together.
0: Well, I want to thank you for taking time to catch up and, uh, and sharing your story and the journey. But I have to ask, what's next?
1: Um, I'm in the process of sorting through that. The very yeah. next thing I'm going to do that is a, a good push for me is um, – in January, I turned 63 and we have a, so I thought, what can I do when I turn 63? I didn't want to like replicate what I'd done just now, but I wanted to kind of have a, just a goal to have in mind. And th- we have a, what's called the Capital Trail here, It runs from Richmond, Virginia to Williamsburg, Virginia. And it's a bike trail, multi-use trail, people run, walk, bike on it. Um, and it's, it's 51.7 miles one way. So I think I'm just going to, you know, do a little run on my birthday to go <laughs> 51.7 miles and run back 51.7 miles. So I'll run about 103 miles on my birthday. I figured that was be a good little something to focus.
0: Yeah, never, never to disappoint. Will Turner, <laughs> thanks, man. It's, it's been great catching up. Uh, wish you all the best. Thanks for joining us today. And uh, please keep the surprised of uh, the future adventures. Stay well.
1: My pleasure, Sam. Thank you. Appreciate it.